Good morning. Welcome. So you heard it from Emily. If we go long today, it's not my fault. Not my fault, right? No, it was awesome. Super good to highlight the Basque ministry. It's an amazing ministry. Um, The Basque people need Jesus. We love them, and uh, we'd love for you to participate in that. So we'll get into things together here. I thought we'd start on on a light note and talk about the year 2020. (laughs) <laughs> right? Yeah, we all remember that, don't we? Uh, there's, a, there's a character on, I think it's Parks and Recreation. He is, he is probably my favorite television character. Uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, John Ralphio, right? If he were here, he would say, 2020 is the worst. It's the worst. We hate 2020, right? It was, it was weird, weird to live, to, live through. Just so much weirdness. The global pandemic, COVID-19, all of that. Can you believe that was four years ago? That was four years ago, right? And you, you know, we, we remember the lockdowns. For many of us, I'll be honest, and I thought like, man, should we start with COVID? That's kind of, it's still kind of like, ugh, like a weird thing. So I'm not... I don't care what your opinion is. You don't care what my opinion is on COVID. We're not, we're not going there. But, but we shared that experience together, right? And I'll be honest, up front, the lockdowns, the lockdowns, I was kind of excited about. Because, because I'm not in school anymore. And we don't get fog days. And we don't get snow delays and all that. But like, as adults, we all got, we got to have an extended snow day. And right at the beginning of it, it was like, hey, I mean, minus the fact that there's a global pandemic and that was kind of scary. <laughs> the other part of it was like, well, so like, awesome, we're home, we're, we're together as a family, and that was great for about three days. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I don't, I don't know about this, right? And then we're all on top of one another, and then, and then the craziness started to happen, and we were fighting about masks, and we should, and we shouldn't, and we're yelling at each other, and families are blown up, and the politics, and all of that stuff, it was, it was good times, right? No. It's like good riddance to all, to all of that. He said, where are we going with this? I'm getting there. I'll say, when we, when we went through that together, I think we all learned something that was maybe a little bit of an eye-opener for us. I think, as a culture, we learned that social distancing and isolation, as it turns out, it's not so good for us as a people in extended doses. It's not a good thing for us, right? We also learned that like, as useful as technology is, and online, and Zoom, and all those things, it's super useful, but it is, it's also not the same as being present with people in person. Online is no substitute for in person. This all kind of came to the forefront of my mind again. I was watching football, I think it was last Sunday, and I've talked about this um, commercial before. Maybe you've seen it. It's a whiskey commercial, so I'm not going to show it because I'm not, not advocating. We're not advertising whiskey here, right? But the geniuses behind this commercial, I love it. At, at the beginning of the commercial, it shows a bunch of kind of sad people in this pub. And they're all kind of, they look sad and depressed. And then one guy alone at the bar starts singing the song that everybody knows, that sweet Caroline, right? Ba, ba, ba. You got it, Bobby. Love it. See? Yeah. The whole, the whole pub starts singing that song. Everybody's belting it out. And then like halfway through the song, there's this young millennial with her hoodie up. And she walks in and she's sad and depressed like we millennials are. So many feels, right? She walks in and she's been alone and isolated. And you can see she's sad. And she walks in and everybody's singing. And she can see the joy and community that is being shared as people are being glad to be with one another. And you can just watch as she like 
the, the anxiety, the, the loneliness, all of it just sorts to melt. And then the geniuses behind the ad campaign, they flash this sign across the screen. People are good for you. People are good for you. I love that. I love that so much. It's such a good, good word. Jesus would affirm this. Maybe not so much like the hard liquor part of it, but... <laughs> But the people, are, the people are good for you, right? The Bible tells us that we are sheep, which means what? It means that we like to flock together. We're meant to be a flock. We're meant to be with people. That is why, church, we talk so much and so frequently here at Crossroads about fridge friends. We want everyone to find some fridge friends here. And what we mean by that is we want people to be connected in relationship deep enough, hopefully around the person of the gospel or the person of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We want, we want people to have deep and meaningful fellowship and friendship with one another to the point that it's not weird if you're over at their house and you open their fridge and you take whatever you want without asking, right? That's a whole other level of closeness. I can go into your, I can raid your fridge and it's not weird. We want everyone to have that level of friendship, not with everyone, but with a few people here at Crossroads. If you've been with us for a while, you might know our vision, maybe not. This is what it is, the vision of Crossroads Church. We exist to help the spiritually lost get found and to equip the found to live free in Jesus Christ. And a large part of getting found spiritually and equipping people to live free in the gospel can only be done within the confines of a loving grace-filled community. We have to be a people that are glad to be with one another. I know a lot of us still think that if we could just get people to know the right stuff, if we could just do a better job of, of helping people understand what's in the Bible, if we could get everyone to know the truth, then we would all act like Jesus. We've tried that for the last 600 years, and the transformation is less than stellar. Can we all agree, right? So what is, how does this work? How do we actually get people to transform? A lot of us still think if we can get the truth, if we can get education, if we can get more information into the minds of the people, then we'll all start behaving like Jesus. And that's actually not how it works. I'm not saying truth isn't important. Truth is very, very important. If you were here with us last week, you'll remember that Jesus came teaching what? Truth. He came teaching a whole lot of truth, but that wasn't what Jesus centered his ministry on. Hang with me for a sec. As it turns out, before we begin to act like Christians or followers of Jesus, we first not, we don't need to know a lot of truth first. What we first need to do is to feel like we're a part of his community. His people need to become our people and then once we feel like we fit and we have that group identity as followers of Jesus, once we feel like we belong, only then will we begin to behave differently. We'll begin to act like how our people act. We can see this dynamic playing itself out in the calling of the first disciples in Mark from, I think, two weeks ago. If you remember in Mark 1, verses 14 through 20, when Jesus started calling his disciples, if you remember that, he stands on the shore and he's calling them to me. He's like, hey, come follow me. And these people, these men and, and the ladies that are in his disciple, discipleship crew, it wasn't just the 12. He had a, a larger crowd of people that follow him, men and women. 
And when he calls them, we see that especially the fishermen, right? They're, they're clueless on the finer points of theology. They don't know who Jesus is fully. They're still, still stuck on political revolution and all this stuff. And if Jesus would have treated discipleship like we do, he would have sat everybody in rows and he said, okay, listen, before you sign up to follow me, here's what I need you to know. Here's the truth. And then he would have went through the kingdom of God and who he is and lectured them for probably at least 45 minutes about the finer points of theology, right? That's what he would have done. But he doesn't do that. As clueless as they are, he's not like, okay, before you sign up for this, here's what you need to know. He simply says, come follow me. Come follow me. Join me. Come be a part of me and my group. He invites them to belong first before he starts dropping a bunch of truth on them. And then these guys and gals that are in his group, as they start to belong, he teaches them along the way about truth. And he, he loves them enough to correct them when they misunderstand or when they stop acting like his followers. All in an effort to continue to transform them more and more into his likeness. Folks, this is what we're about here at Crossroads. This is what we're trying to do here. We are praying and working to make this a safe and welcoming place for you to belong. For, for these people to become your people. We don't just want you to come and attend a service here, listen to some preaching, and then go about your week. Please do not settle for that in your walk. We want you to get found by Jesus and by his people. We want you to find fridge friends here, people with whom you can be open and honest about the deepest and, yes, even the darkest areas of your life. Why? Why do we want this? Because true freedom only comes when we learn to share our weakness and sin within the context of a gospel community. I'm going to quote a good friend of mine, Cal, who's going to preach here in September. I'm going to take a sabbatical. We'll fill you more in on that, probably from July through September. And I got some friends. Wes and Seth will do some preaching. Nate Hammond will be here. Cal Rickner will be here a little bit to fill in the pulpit while I'm gone. Cal uh, is real big into freedom ministry. And one thing he always says I love, he says, God can't heal what we conceal. God can't heal what we conceal. That's scriptural. It comes from James. James 5, 16. He puts it in the positive rather than the negative. He writes it this way. He says, John, James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. When we bring stuff that's in the darkness out into the light, there is healing and freedom that comes. If you were here last week, you will remember that I shared some personal junk and sin from my own life. I shared how confessing it to a trusted brother in Christ, receiving some warfare prayer, some freedom prayer over it, how it's brought tremendous amount of freedom in my life and my marriage. Do you know why sometimes I choose to, to share some of my own sin publicly? It's not because I enjoy it, I'll tell you that. And it's not because I feel like I need to unburden myself. I've already taken care of that work personally, in my trusted group of, of guys that, that I pray with. I share that stuff because I'm trying to model for all of you what it looks like to live your lives in authentic, heart-focused Christian community. 
I share my junk and my weakness occasionally up here because I want, I want to encourage you that this is a safe place for you to share yours. As we discussed two weeks ago, do you remember who we are as a people at Crossroads? We are a people who treat weakness with grace, gentleness, and love. I want you to look to your neighbor right now, look, to, look at each other, and I want you to say that with me. I want you to say it together. It's on the screen. Let's say it together. We are a people who treat weakness with grace, gentleness, and love. That's who we are. If you unburden your sin here, we are not going to clobber you with a hammer or condemn you. We're not going to celebrate it, but we are going to embrace you and help you walk towards Jesus together in repentance, turning from sin towards freedom and following Jesus together. Here's the deal, church. If you come here with masks on and hide your sin and pretend like you're not weak, like you have it all together, like you don't have sin going on in your life, you will never be able to receive the healing of our King or walk in His freedom. Why? Because God can't heal what we don't reveal. He can't heal what we don't reveal. After last week's message, some, some people started bringing their junk out. They came talking to me, to some other folks, of bringing some of their sin that they've kept in darkness for a very long time into the light. And I know it was painful and hard for some of them, but I couldn't be more excited because I am confident that Jesus is going to bring some amazing healing and freedom because of it. If you are one of those persons who felt the, the tug of the Holy Spirit, a sense of, man, I've got some... I've got some skeletons in my closet that I've been too ashamed to ever talk about or bring out. And you're, and you're starting to feel and, and sense, and I, I like to confess my sins one to another so that I might be healed, that I might receive some freedom. You're, you're wondering, what would it look like to do that here? We have a process. You can jump on our website. If you click at the very top tab, we have a new website that we're still trying to build out, but it's very intentional. The tabs are Find Freedom Together. If you would click on the Freedom tab and drop that down, there is a link to a Freedom form. It's an intake form that's fairly exhaustive. That If you fill it out and submit it, it will come to me right now and then a couple of people on our Freedom team. It's super confidential. There's a small handful of people that we've trained. Um, we'll get that. We'll pray over it. We'll schedule a meeting with you to pray with you and walk through two things. One, wounds of your past where... You might have a significant amount of trauma that we want to invite Jesus to heal. In that meeting, I like to tell people there's only one good counselor and I am not him. We believe that Jesus is alive and ruling and reigning and that he wants to speak to us. And so we will invite him to minister to you in that time to bring some healing to the wounds in your past. And also through that intake form, we will go through that acronym SOUL. Sin, occult activities, unforgiveness, uh, lineage, family history stuff and then lies that we believe. Those are open doors that we can open to give access to the enemy to have a stronghold or a greater level of influence in our life than what we should have as Christians. So you fill that out, that form will give us a good avenue, direction on whether or not you need some healing or some deliverance or a combination of both, and then we'll schedule it and we'll pray through, we'll pray through it with you. We've had several men and women go through it and seen some really good things. I will say it's not a silver bullet, um, some people have seen some crazy breakthrough, like it takes one session and they've got crazy amounts of freedom. Some other men and women have, have I think, felt loved and encouraged. 
um, and would say we, we're experiencing a, a greater level of freedom, but we've still got some issues to work through, and, and that's okay. Um, like I said, it's not an easy button, it's not a silver bullet, but it is biblical, and our, our hope is to walk with you through that in a way that makes you feel loved and hopefully brings the power of the Holy Spirit in a unique way to take care of spiritual stuff and wounds from our past. So, I realize that bringing dark things out into the light before others can be a scary thing. Do you know who else knows that? Our enemy, Satan. I believe this is one of the biggest reasons why Satan tempts believers into sin. He's a wolf, and we're sheep, and so he likes to hunt like wolves, right? They isolate. They isolate the weak. They get them alone, separated through sin and shame and guilt. If we can get you out of the pack, out of the flock, and alone and separated where you're feeling so much sin and shame that you don't want to be a part, you don't want to be found out, then you're easy prey for the enemy. We're going to see Satan doing that a little bit this morning in our text as we read it together in Mark 1. But Jesus isn't having it. The flock, the the weak sheep, the weak flock, the marginalized that Satan likes to isolate alone, Jesus creates a safe place for them to come and meet with him. And he not only heals them and brings freedom into their life, but he reunites them with their community. So I'd like to read that with you this morning. Mark 1, verses 29 through 39. We'll see what is today my big idea for this sermon. We'll see that sin isolates, but Jesus unites and reunites. And as we're being reunited, as joyful as as that is to be in community, we still need to prioritize moments of rest and solitude with our God. So let's read it together in Mark 1. Mark 1, starting in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but... He would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so they traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. As has already been mentioned, God can't heal what we conceal. I find it interesting as we read through this, that as Jesus insists that his identity be kept a secret, people who are probably living their lives in secret and on the hidden fringes of society keep coming to him for healing and freedom. People who were sick and demonized, they were often the most likely to be ostracized from their community, from their people, forced to live their lives in secret and in hiding. But rather than stay hidden, many of them choose to leave the dark corners and to come into the light to find Jesus, to be found by Jesus, and experience his healing and freedom. And Jesus does just that. We see him here setting captives free, 
Not only does he bring healing and freedom to them, but he makes them whole again by reintroducing them back into their community, by restoring them back into their community. And they have a, a new lease on life, a new freedom from which their deepest sins have been exposed, and now they have a power to live over it. Satan used to be able to, to hold it over them, but because they brought it into the light, they've been set free from it. Now they're fully able to discover what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live in community with his people, to begin to act like their people. It's a beautiful thing. Simon's mother-in-law, she's instantly restored to her family. That's probably a big deal for them, right? Not just that she's able to help around the house anymore, but like to have her back. I'm sure they were concerned that they were going to lose her. He heals her and restores her back to her people. We know less of the stories about the other men and women that are healed and delivered. We're left wondering, what joy did they find by opening themselves up to healing? What traumas does Jesus turn into testimonies? I love that question. Cal also says in one of the, the seminars that he leads, our greatest trauma can become our greatest testimony if we allow the Lord Jesus to heal us. What traumas become testimonies for people through this encounter? I don't know. Here's what I want you to see. Sin, it's isolating. It's isolating. Sin isolates us. It isolates us from people and it isolates us from God. It fills us with a deep sense of shame. It drives a wedge into our relationships between others, between God. It makes us feel like we're alone. It makes us feel like if anyone knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me. I wouldn't be able to belong. And so we hide. We hide from others. We hide from God. We hide from God because we know the sin that's in our life. And when we walk into his presence, the only thing we can see on his face is not a sense of, I'm glad to be with you, which is true because of the gospel of Jesus. God is always glad to be with us. He smiles. His eyes light up when we walk into his presence. But we don't feel that because we have sin that's over us. And so when we look at the face of God, many of us, what we see is an angry judge, someone who's frowning, someone who's crossed arms and disappointed with us. Sin isolates us. And when we're alone and isolated, as little sheep, we're easy prey for the enemy. But look at what Jesus does here. Does he condemn these people when they come to him? Well, you wouldn't be sick if you would have washed your hands, right? Well, you wouldn't have a demon if you wouldn't have done this sin. Does he, does he shame them? No. He treats their weakness with gentleness and love and grace rather than contempt and condemnation. He loves on them. He heals them. He frees them. And then he reunites them back into his community. See, sin isolates. But Jesus unites and reunites. It's a beautiful thing but we have to be willing to bring our junk out into the light before trusted, godly, mature men and women in the context of our community, our local church. And that would be a good place to end this morning, but Mark doesn't end there. And I, for one, am glad that he doesn't. I'm glad that he doesn't. Jesus has got some crazy stuff going on in his ministry right now. He's ramping up. I want you to think with me, 
revival is happening in his midst. We pray for this. We want people to get found and and live free. Miracles are happening in the context of Jesus' ministry. And if, if you are like me, as Jesus is like just crushing it, I've got my like Google spreadsheet out. I've got the calendar up. I'm building a website. I'm thinking, how do we scale this thing? Let's get some cameras in here, start multicasting this. Like we're booking Fox News and CNN. Let's go, right? The whole world needs to know this message. We have got to save people and set them free. Let's go, Jesus. That's what we would all do. We would, we would see what's happening. We would see the success. God's healing people. He's setting them free. Revival's happening. Let's scale it up. Let's do whatever we can do. Let's run. Let's sprint. That is not what Jesus does. And I need to hear this personally. And I think many of us in our crazy, busy world need to do this as well. As revival takes place and people are wanting to move in on their own strength to take over the world. Look at what Jesus is doing. Mark 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's not very productive. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? What are you doing? Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Nearby villages, so I can preach there. That is why I have come. And so they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I love this church. His closest followers are hurrying around frantically, ready to take over the world, and they can't find Jesus. Even as we read this, you can hear the exasperation in your voice, can't in their voice, can't you? Jesus, what are you doing? Where have you been? There are crowds that need to be ministered. People need freedom. People need healing. Let's go. There is good work, God work that needs doing right now. And where are you? You're hiding? Out in the wilderness? Praying? Anybody got time for that? Jesus is alone in prayer with his Father. And look at how productive this time is for him. He comes out of that time of rest and solitude with God with a renewed conviction as to the direction and vision for his ministry and the pace of his ministry. Jesus walked everywhere he went. That is the speed of our God, church. Three miles an hour. In a world that thinks in milliseconds and supersonic, the speed of our king is three miles an hour. Jesus comes out of that time alone with God. He says, listen, I know there's still a lot of people here, but it's time to move on. I've been talking with my father, and he's... He's got a mission for me, and it's to preach. It's time to move on. Let's go to the next town and expand our reach. Church, I cannot overemphasize this in our crazy busy age. For the follower of Jesus, God has a mission for you in your life. It's important that you find it. But in doing so, I want to encourage you that once you find it, 
what your passion is, what God is calling you to. Perhaps it's Basque ministry. Maybe it's something else in your workplace. I don't know. He, he, he's got us involved in all places around the world, in our community. Well, once we find our mission, what God has called us to, I want to encourage you, once you find it, don't just get your marching orders and then run full steam ahead to never consult the Lord again. We're pretty good at doing that. Lord, what do you want from me? All right, got it. I'll take it from here. God has a mission for us, but it's not to be done at a hurried pace. And as you experience success in whatever he's calling you into, do not forget that times of rest and silence and solitude with God are vital, not only to your direction in the mission, but also to your heart and the energy with which you live along the way. I don't know about you, but when things get busy for me, I've got important tasks to do and important things on my schedule. The first thing to go on my schedule is my time alone with the Lord and prayer. It's the first thing I cut every time. And it never takes me long to start to feel it or for my family to receive the lack of peace that I've been operating out of for a while. When I fail to come up for air with God and pull back from a hurried, frenetic pace that is life in our culture with sports and good things, school things and church things and all the, th- all the things. It's crazy. When I fail to come up for air, I live with stress, with worry, and a whole lot of tension. I get short with people, especially the people I love. I'm just not a great person to be around. Not only that, I find it harder and harder to hear from God. Not because he stopped speaking, but because mostly I'm too busy to be bothered to listen to that still, small voice that's always got a plan for my life, purpose for my life, peace and rest for my life, guides me throughout my day. I realize many of us can do a lot on our own strength. We can. We're pretty good at it as Americans, aren't we? We can do a lot. We can do a lot without the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that if the Holy Spirit ever leaves crossroads, we would notice because we're not doing it in our own strength. We're doing it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. We might be able to do a lot on our own strength, but if it's on our own strength, loved ones, it's in vain. Create space in your life, even as you're going hard after helping people get found and live free. Create space in your life for silence, for solitude, to listen to your Heavenly Father in that still, small voice. Don't work in your own strength. Don't miss this. Sin isolates us. Jesus unites us and reunites us. Those of us who are lost, he brings us back into a community and it is beautiful to be with one another. There is joy and high energy that we get by being with one another. But we also, like children on a swing, we need to swing up into those moments of high joy and being with one another 
but we also need to come down from those moments because that's unsustainable. It will stress us out if we only ever live up here in high joy, community, always with people. We need to swing up into those. And like a kid who swings back on a swing, we need to swing back down into times of peace and rest alone with God in silence and solitude. Though that's the the unforced rhythms of grace that God has wired us to experience in his community and in his presence. We swing up in the glad-to-be-with-you joy feelings of being present with God's people, and we swing back down into times of rest and solitude to be present with God and be poured into by his peace and rest. When we learn to live at a pace that is sustainable, we get found and we live free. We get found and we live free. Church, God is doing an incredible ministry here at Crossroads. I am amazed at what he's done even in just the last year, people-wise. The amount of people, the level of people in groups and the amazing ministry. Obviously, the building's awesome as well and generosity continues to fund. It's amazing. God's doing amazing work here. We are winning sheep from out of the shadows and helping the spiritually lost get found and equipping those who have been found to live with a renewed sense of freedom in Jesus. It's amazing. Praise God. But let us never forget to keep following in the footsteps of Jesus. Moments of rest and solitude will remain essential as we press onward and upward into the mission that God has called us to. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for finding so many of us who were lost and are now found. Found by you. I pray, Father, that you would help all of us continue to find fridge friends here 